Welcome to episode 258 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Typically, my coaching clients sign up to work with me for six months. A few go all in and commit to a year. When we're nearing the final month, I start a conversation about what they hope to achieve in the next six months. What's really great about these conversations is how different their horizon is after just six months of working together. For some, they can now have huge dreams. What they can envision for themselves has shifted and what's possible now they could not have even admitted wanting just a few months earlier. For others, the desires are now more measured. Their strategy is now based on the reality of their situation, whereas months earlier, their big dreams were based all on fantasy or myths. Some coaches would consider this a renewal conversation with the goal of renewing the client. I don't see it that way. My question, after the vision has been shared and dreams affirmed, do you have everything you need to succeed, or is there some way in which I can support you? Their answer is how we determine whether we'll continue our coaching agreement or they'll agree to keep me posted on their progress as they go forward without me as their coach. Sometimes I'll make a referral to a different kind of service provider because the support they need now is not something I can provide. My goal is not to work with my clients forever and make them dependent on me. I want to get them to a place where they are making the impact and income they desire. And that's why nearly all of my business is referral-based, and I don't worry about my renewal rate. Your challenge this week, my question to you, do you have everything you need to succeed, or is there some way in which I could support you? Did you attend or watch the sessions from the Big Results Training? Remember, the replay is available for a limited time at robbysamuels.com forward slash big results. I shared an offer to work with me in a private small group mastermind filled with fellow entrepreneurs also striving to put the strategies in small list big results into practice. At the end of this year-long program, you will stop struggling to find an audience for your offers because you'll co-create an offer or multiple offers that they can't resist. You'll be adept at implementing a repeatable process that helps you discover likely prospects from within your existing network who already know, like, and trust you. That is my promise. What will be possible a year from now once you have these skills and resources? Think about all the lives you will positively impact because you'll get out of your own way and co-create exactly the solutions your clients need. If you've been following my journey this fall, you already have the tools you need for my book, Small List Big Results, and the free bonus content, the Big Results Toolkit. Now the question is whether you're missing a guide to help you navigate pitfalls as you implement these strategies? And what is the cost of an action? If you know the bigger problem and you have access to a bigger solution, what if you don't move forward on your own? Is now the time to invest in working with a coach, either one-on-one or in a focused mastermind? Email me at robbie at robbysamuels.com to schedule a chat and we can explore what it would be like to work together. Now, before we dive into this week's interview, I've got big news to share. Small List Big Results launched a successful offer 
no matter the size of your email list, is now available in paperback. Get the ebook or paperback and the Big Results Toolkit, which is my gift to you, at smalllistbigresults.com. Here is an endorsement review from Michael Roderick, CEO of Small Pond Enterprises. He said, if you find yourself spinning the entrepreneurial wheels, this is the book to give you the traction you need to shift into high gear and move forward. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. I want to give a huge shout out to my book launch team. With their help, Small List Big Results was a number one new release in women in business, market research business, marketing for small businesses, entrepreneurship advertising, and small business advertising, and also in Canada, small business and entrepreneurship. It is an international bestseller reaching number one in six U.S. categories, plus two in Canada and one in Australia. It ranked as high as 4,202 and has received so far 144 reviews with new ones coming in all the time. So thank you so much to my launch team. And what I really love is that the reviews have made it clear just how valuable this book is for anyone looking to build momentum around an idea, cause, product, or service. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest believes human beings just want to be appreciated. He believes that appreciation is rocket fuel to create lifelong business relationships and has built his career around a single idea. To that end, he is an eight-time TEDx speaker, and the producer of a 55-year event series for entrepreneurs called Thank You Live, the annual gratitude experience for entrepreneurs to look back on their year, celebrate their progress, and appreciate their people. Because of his unique approach to appreciation, he has been hired to deliver keynotes on over 1,000 stages and invited to work with companies like Lululemon, LinkedIn, and Microsoft. Please join me in welcoming Blake Fly. I'm here. I'm excited. I'm honored and delighted to be part of this. Thank you, Robbie. Blake, thank you so much for joining us from Toronto. Thrilled to have you on here. It's been, it's been fun getting to know you. And now I feel like I'm going to get to actually know you. As you know, the context of this show is about building strong networks and really in the context of leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? I realized that I had the skills to lead when people kept saying, Blake, you get up and talk. And so I would define leadership as basically a willingness to speak to people in a way that they respond and impacts individuals, but is in line with how you feel comfortable and a little bit on your edge when you're showing up. So for some people that might be getting up on a microphone, for others that might be behind the scenes tech admin, extroverted, introverted, it's all welcome. But I noticed this all in action when people kept saying to me, like, you get up and talk. And that happened a lot back when I was a student. Situations where an announcement needed to get made for a group of teenagers, or there was low enthusiasm at some kind of event in the city or the community or the university, and they just needed someone to kind of up the energy. And I kept getting thrown into these situations. And I think it was because people noticed that I actually really enjoyed being in front of a crowd, not so much to be 
hey, look at me, but more to be, huh, this is an interesting challenge because I'm outnumbered. There's no denying that. I'm good enough at math to realize if this goes poorly, I flounder. But I really enjoyed the dynamic of, okay, me and a crowd. How can something I say, do, or deliver have an impact positively on this small, medium, or massive crowd? So those were some observations that I made much younger in life, but really still hold today, whether it's in person, virtual, three people, or 3,000 people. I love this uh, answer because I, I really resonated with it as I'm thinking about my own life and why I love what I do when I have the opportunity to be on a mic and interacting with a crowd. And like you said, virtually, that, that joy hasn't been taken away. Like I have absolutely found that joy in a virtual space, whether it's like a quieter, like focused space. And I know you do a lot of things like that. And that's how I've gotten to know you. Or it's like getting people sort of rallied around an idea. I'm, I want to like we wind the clock back just a tiny bit more. You were talking yeah. about some teenage years. What were you like on the playground? You know, did people back then even know who you were or were you kind of the quiet kid? Like, did teachers notice you? Like, kind of who, who, who were you when this all started? I picked up a few words at graduate, not words. I picked up a few awards <laughs> at the end of high school at graduation, and I was surprised by each of them. And I think those are interesting and parallel a lot of what I experienced kind of kindergarten up to the end of high school and maybe even to present day. But at high school grad, I received something called the Heart Award. I didn't even know they had a Heart Award. And so the teacher was up on stage, the podium, just saying, okay, next we're going to be giving out the Heart Award. And it's to acknowledge a student who just really shows that they care. They love to contribute. They genuinely want to give something to this community. And they're thinking about their peers, not just themselves. And someone that when they leave here, they'll probably be remembered, but for great reasons. And that award goes to Blake. And, and I was shocked, one, because I didn't know there was a heart award, and two, because I received it. And I took that as a high compliment because that wasn't really linked to grades. That wasn't really linked to my co-op programs or certain projects and things. It, it had a lot of character woven into it. And then the other award that I received was a, a student-nominated award, which was those good old yearbook things of you know, most likely to, or most whatever. And I was awarded or nominated for most unique person in the school. And I thought, huh, okay. I really dig that. I really dig that I am viewed as the most unique person here because especially in high school, it's, it's a tricky time to go the unique path. And so the combination of most unique and the heart award in sort of a peer nominated or teacher nominated manner, it really did trickle back to even when I was much younger and to present day where I love doing things in ways that might be a little bit outside the box, but no one's really getting hurt in the process. And I like doing things that show that I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm not afraid to be a, a sentimentalist, but also someone who's a thought leader of sorts. So those, those two awards are synonymous to a lot of the things I enjoy being up to even in present day, personally and professionally. It's so neat. Um, I, I, I really like 
in some ways we we're we're kind of cut from a similar cloth like for for different very different reasons i was different yeah. in high school and junior high but i thought of myself as unique mm. and so i hung out with like every kind of crowd and right. i graduated with 1300 in my class so it was an enormous high school oh. so there yeah, were lots big. of different that's clicks big. like dozens of clicks and i just had friends in all these different clicks and I saw that chameleon piece as being like a plus and I would throw parties where I'd bring everyone together. Uh, like that was like my, like I loved mashing up my friend circles and I right. do a lot of that same, like, yeah. why not? Like get everyone in the room together. Yeah. Was there somebody that you particularly looked up to? Um, and in particular, I'm thinking about how you're an entrepreneur today and that's not a path. I mean, that falls in the line of the unique um, was there someone who, who had sort of maybe an outside the box, you know, experience that you were, you were able to witness when you were a kid, or maybe was a particularly good leader? There was someone who really struck a chord with me, which was on the first day of training for a part-time job that I had in university. My part-time job was as a residence advisor. And so for those who don't know what that role is, it's sort of like a camp counselor in a student residence building on a campus where you know, you're running events, you're checking in on people, you're answering questions, you're occasionally breaking up fights and dealing with the lows of lows in life and the highs and highs in life, depending on the day or night you're involved in. But training was really intensive because there's a lot of soap opera energy to freshman year of college and university. So you need to be ready for everything on the emotional spectrum. And on night one of training, there was a keynote speaker. His name was Tony Conte. And I sat in the front row just because I was in the front row. I mean, I wasn't like rushing up to the front Tony Robbins conference style. I was just five feet away from the guy. And I had a, I had a great seat for the keynote. And he just pulled up a chair at the start, sat in the chair, and just basically said what his intention was for our time together that evening. And there was about 200 of us in this room. And then after sharing that intention, put the chair to the side and he just electrified us for an hour, just stories and humor. And I was, I was taking furious notes throughout it. And at the end I went up to this gentleman. I said, can you sign my notes? <laughs> I'm going to laminate this and put this up in my residence room. This is awesome. And he chuckled and he laughed and it just made such an impression on me, but because you know, Robbie, when you're at the start of a new chapter, I know for you at the time of recording, like you're, in a new life chapter with your family where you live, but everything's so much more rich. It's like you receive things in higher definition. So because I was hours into a new stage in life, a new job, everything this guy, Tony was saying, it was just going straight to the brain and the heart. And then afterwards I realized, huh, like that, that's this guy's job. Like, He's that's like his career. <laughs> and so I started to study these individuals who spoke for a living, went out and gave keynotes and workshops and trainings. And so much of that sparked from night one, day one, part-time job one in university, hearing him deliver a keynote where it was at an intersection in life where I received it a thousand percent and it set my trajectory in a beautiful way. And I mean, we can get into it more throughout our conversation, but I mean, since that time I've been hired to deliver over a thousand keynote speeches 
80% to student groups and 20% to corporate, but so much of my heart lied in those student experiences, mainly because of what I got floored with on that first day of part-time job training from a keynote speaker named Tony Conte. I love hearing how professional speakers discovered that speaking was a profession. Yeah. Like, because it seems outrageous, like in some ways. And uh, I also know people who like listen to Tony Robbins or other big, you know, well-known names and still didn't realize that it was a thing they could do because what they were listening to was like so far and beyond what they imagine ever doing themselves. And like, so it's kind of helpful that you saw someone who like came to your school was like kind of met you where you were and like ignited that in you that you could see a path forward. And um, did you, did you stay in touch? Do you ever circle back to Tony? Gigantically. I made it a, a devotion on my part that I would form a relationship with Tony. We'd become friends. I would, do things to just kind of learn and study from the gentleman. And I don't know exactly how he reconnected, but I saw him speak several times throughout university at different events and trainings and conferences. So I'd I'd make a a touch point at each one, maybe say hi in a lineup or just circle back to, I first heard you speak when. So we probably had four or five interactions like that while I was a student. And then when I began the world of professional speaking, I believe I reached out over email or phone and again, just acknowledged and thanked him for his impact and said, I live in Toronto. I know you're in Toronto where you work at a university and maybe we can meet up sometime. And he was just really gracious and welcoming and said, yeah, absolutely. And there's more nuance to it. Obviously, like I had some other relationships that I could link to this relationship that then let me create a doorway into more than just a hi, how are you? And since that time, Tony and I, we've, probably met up 10 or 12 times for a tea or a coffee or a bite every one to two years back in the old world. And we'll text and keep up frequently. Just if he pops into my mind, I'll, I'll say hi. And literally one of this, one of the main videos I share in some of my trainings about just how to form relationships is a video of me walking through a cereal box aisle. I passed the frosted flakes, which has Tony the tiger on it. And that day I just took out my cell phone because it reminded me of Tony Conte and I made a little selfie video and I was like, Hey, Tony, it's Blake thought of you. And then I pan and I show (laughs) Tony the tiger on the cereal box and just, Hey, hope you're well. And want to send you this video. Have a good day. Sent it to Tony. And that forever remains just this fun little inside joke. And I mean, that was 10 seconds in a grocery store, but it's a very simple, fast way to root right back to, the foundational friendship that we built over the last many years now. I love it. I love that. And I'm not surprised at all that you did circle back and and make the effort to build that, that relationship and that he received that in such a positive way. Did you go from university to professional speaking or was there a detour along the way? There was a, on paper, no detour, but yeah, a bit of a detour, meaning at the end of university, There were two jobs I wanted. One, I wanted to be a recruitment officer, which meant I could just travel around and give speeches about how awesome university was. I'm like, this is great. I loved this place. I loved this time. I mean, I lived in residence 
for every year of school. Cause when my buddies moved off campus, I said, I got the rest of my life to live off campus. I'm staying, I'm staying here until I graduate. And so I wanted to be a recruitment officer or a manager of the residence buildings on campus, which was sort of like the next level above the part-time job. And I was chosen to be a residence manager. So I stayed working at the university for three more years, but this time I was supervising a part-time staff of 40 students and having to talk to parents and manage budgets and deal with all the things you see in college, college movies and stuff like that. But I literally was a sociologist that was just accumulating experiences and moments and memories and stories and ideas and concepts that I then said, how can I do this work forever, but not live in residence forever? (laughs) And the best idea that I had was I will bottle up my favorite parts of this work, which is frontline work with students, conversations, running events, doing presentations and workshops, and I'll hit the road. And so I, I started a professional speaking business and it began by talking mainly to freshman students about how to successfully transition out of high school and into university so that they can not graduate with regret, but they can graduate filled with gratitude because they made the most of their time while they were there. I don't know if you know this, but my wife was the director of residence life for her career up until two and a half years ago. Oh my gosh. And um, you know the world far too well. When I met her, she was living on campus and I moved in and I didn't live uh-huh. on campus when I was in college. I commuted. Oh, that's a, that's a surreal entrance for you. So for me, I was like 40 years old, yeah. moving onto campus for the first time. Yeah. Now, fortunately, it was a women-centered college, so it was not the big party school that you might imagine right. uh, or I might have imagined schools were going to be like. Um, yeah. it, I described it as the place where you could carve a pumpkin, put it on your front steps of one of the buildings and no one kicked it in. Wow, that's that does it. I feel like that's like a campaign for mayor. Like, what a friendly neighborhood we can create. Seriously, we're a friendly neighborhood. It will rot on that stoop before anyone kicks it in. Um, so, so I I know all about the politics and 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 the the RAs and uh like the the building managers and having everyone like all the roles. But what a what a great learning experience. Um. How did you know that topic? I mean, like, the, clearly you had a passion to speak about something. How did you settle on that being your topic? The, the you know, transition from high school to like, because clearly right now it sounds like there's a through line around gratitude, right? Like, yeah. like right now it sounds like it makes sense, but you know, hindsight, right? So yeah. but th- at that moment, how did you think about that talk and, and your, what was drawing you to it? This is a bit of a wind back to the high school theme again, which then gets us to the answer to that question. I was invited to be the valedictorian at the end of high school, so I had to give a speech. And again, I was surprised to be chosen for that because it wasn't related to grades. It was more just peer nominated. Who should give the speech to end high school? And I was chosen. And so what that meant is because our, our graduation was in the fall, I had the whole summer to prepare that. And the way for me to do it was I worked at a grocery store that summer on a night shift. So from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., I'd be sitting on a milk crate and I was, you know, stocking cans and bottles of soda and canned corn and all that. But I'd keep a cardboard piece in my apron to, to write notes on what food I had to go get and bring back out. 
but I had an extra piece of cardboard and I would write memories from high school. So anytime a memory would hit me from high school, which was, you know, 2 a.m. while stocking dog food, I'd write it on the cardboard. So it was like the old school phone memo, if you will. And I had all these pieces of cardboard at the end of summer of all these memories. And I just used the cardboard pieces to craft the speech. But I think what that did accidentally or intentionally is it put this lens over my eyes of what are the most rich moments from a chapter in life. And all my peers were focused on the next phase, college, university, traveling, working, whatever. And I was drinking in the moments from high school. And that speech went incredibly well. It was received better than I imagined. People said it was funny and meaningful and sincere and grandparents loved it. Parents loved it. My peers loved it. So I thought, interesting. I loved the prep process. I loved the delivery process. And I loved who I had to be to kind of source the insights to put into the presentation. So I went into university with this lens of appreciation and mindfulness and, and gratitude because I went, wow, high school flew by. And I hear that time only gets faster. So I better make the most of this while I'm here in university, which I did. And so I found the topic, I found the area of expertise because I noticed that so many of my peers in university, they only figured out once they left how special the time was, how meaningful it was, how unlike any other time in life it was. It's like, when else do you get to live with hundreds of people going through the same lows and highs as you? And you just you're like in a container, but it, it's awesome. So that's the topic. I, I literally saw it as sort of like going out in the world, giving a valedictory address to graduates and a welcome address to freshmen. And so my springtime was always the, what a ride it's been. Let's get you ready for the next one. And my summer fall always became Welcome to the new chapter. What a ride it's going to be. Let's get you ready to go. And I've been doing the wrap up startup, wrap up startup, wrap up startup for over a decade now. And that also evolves into doing the same kind of thing with entrepreneurs and companies where we all have these cycles, but most people miss it. Entrepreneurs, they just keep working or they keep goal setting or they keep stretching. And companies, they just keep grinding. They keep up leveling instead of, well, what if we give ourselves some graduation esque experience where the goal is, what have we learned? How are we doing? <laughs> where are we going next? And in the middle of that, love on all the people that have played a key role in our life. So, I think it just came from the fact that due to a series of unplanned events, I became a hyper appreciative fanboy of my own living experience. <laughs> I thank you for the, for the details on that. And I, it feels like you both lived something and in the moment that you were living it, recognized what it could possibly mean for like later in life. And that memory stayed with you. 
you're able to call upon it again. Like a lot of us are not as present in the moment and we don't have a strong memory of what was. So yeah. there's like two things are happening. Like life is just flying by. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've just had a big disruption, all of us globally around what life means and what life looks yeah. like. And yeah. I think that, I think the reset button has been really powerful for a lot of people. It feels like you already went into life with that kind of innately wired, like to appreciate and to not need a reset. Yeah. Um, I'm actually kind of curious now that I'm sort of weaving us in that direction. What is the big takeaway for Blake in the midst of this global pandemic and all the upheaval and all the change? I mean, for so many people had big aha moments about meaning and purpose and, you know, quitting their job to do the thing they really love or like pursue the hobby they've been not making time for, or spend more time with their kids or get divorced because they actually aren't happy or whatever it is. Did you have any moments like that? Yeah, I would say the, the term scoreboard is coming to my mind and I'll expand on this. What I mean by this idea of a scoreboard is as the world just had the great pause and everybody figured it out and is figuring it out, my unique experience in the pandemic was my wife and I became parents. So we were experiencing a pregnancy during quarantines and lockdowns. And then we were greeted by the amazing birth of our son. He was born on Christmas in 2020. And so Christmas 2020 itself was already like, this is wild. And to have a baby born, become parents that day was double wild. And modern times, you know, a baby's born, you get on FaceTime and you call some people. And what was so wild is it was Christmas night and everybody we FaceTimed was home alone. I can't think of many other Christmas nights ever where if you were to go door to door a hundred years ago or FaceTime six months ago, you'd knock or call and they'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm just here. <laughs> we're here sitting or <laughs> watching a show. <laughs> like everybody was so present and kind of regular on Christmas night. And so the scoreboard idea is I was in two very different lands during the pandemic. I had a lot of colleagues and peers who their business blew up in a beautiful way. Like it just blew up. And most of my business was online at this point. So I was really positioned. I'm like, oh, I'm online. Let's, let's get to work. What I failed to anticipate was I, was I was really nervous about becoming a parent. I was worried about, okay, unknown time in human history and we got a baby on the way. I froze. I, I, was, I was almost reluctant to sell. I was hesitant to show up as big as I typically do. And I was, I doubled down on the home front on the personal front. And to this day, I haven't spent a day away from our son who's now seven months. I mean, I've, I've put years of time in with him and he's only seven months old, but if it was regularly scheduled living, I'd probably be gone a whole bunch. And 
I feel like at the end of someone's life, you hear the themes of they wish they spent more time with family or they wish they just were with their loved ones or they wish they had conversations or quality time with the people that mattered the most. I feel like in this past year, year and a half, I've, I've done so much on the family front, the things that at the end of someone's life are often high on the regret list because they didn't do it. Yet I got in my head about the fact that I wasn't killing it in business like I have at other times in my business history. So the scoreboard piece is, wow, it's fascinating to me that I'm actually still chalking up things like business wins as more important than personal, relational, familial moments. But I'm like a trillionaire on the, on the relational, familial front, but I still get pulled by the scoreboard that is just the business stuff. And that was my big aha is, whoa, this is, this can be a tricky game of, well, I think I know what matters the most to me, yet I'm still being yanked by Instagram propaganda and sweet resume building points in my industry and peers and colleagues and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, I, I don't know if you're going to get this analogy, but um, when the Jewish holidays come around in the fall, no matter when they arrive, same thing with like Passover, they're always early or late. Mm. No one ever says, yeah, Hanukkah right on time. Yeah. It's like, wow, Hanukkah is really early this year. Wow. Hanukkah is really late this year. <laughs> you know, like, like, like this weird way, like how do you measure these things? And I feel like for you, it's like, you know, I'm doing well. Well, I don't know actually if I'm doing well, maybe I'm not doing well at all. Yeah. I don't, I'm actually, well, I'm doing, but I'm not sure. <laughs> like, like, how do you measure it? And you, like you said, you've got these sort of two sides. If you're, if you're actually, it's two sides, but they're both you. So yeah, I yeah. get how hard, particularly that could be to, to unwind. Yeah. Um, congratulations on the newborn. Um, seven months old now. And I actually hosted Christmas 2020, my weekly Friday virtual happy hour. No more bad Zoom virtual happy hour. Oh. Landed on a Friday. I've been hosting it since March 13th. 2020 yeah and my wife at first was like really <laughs> and i was like we could celebrate christmas any day of the week like we don't care like it's not yeah. not important to us her family's never been like particular about what day as long as people can get together yeah and i was like it'd be easier for us actually this on saturday <laughs> um i was like i have a community and i know people are going to come and yeah. people came and we had such wow. a good time because everybody was home, right? Like you said, yeah. and um, I was raised Jewish. So my, what's so funny is that <laughs> my connection to Christmas is like, not like a lifelong, like yeah. this is you know, a holiday I've always celebrated, but I just totally was like, I don't, I wouldn't want to be alone. And there are people yeah. who don't have family or roommates or right. people and yeah. no one's around and stores are closed. Like we got to yeah. gather, we got to convene everybody. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry I wasn't there that day. I had plans. You you had you had yeah. you had something coming up that you couldn't avoid. <laughs> it's true. Um, so we we've sort of touched on this a little bit earlier when we were talking about how you connected with uh, Tony. But 
you know, I, I see you as a person who's so good at relationships and, um, you know, you got on my radar. I should just mention this because I actually didn't know who you were. Like you and I are in this group together that, um, I guess it's Mike's Michael's group, right? Yeah. Is that how we, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Michael Roderick has this group and, um, I guess we're in that and I, I made myself known in some way. And, um, but I'm, I'm not like, I'm not someone who was like being, I wasn't being super intentional. I was super busy. So I wasn't able to like consume what was going on in the group very much. Yeah. And you sent me like an invite, like one of your video, like, Hey, you should meet so-and-so. And right. it was definitely like, wow, this guy knows who I am. And like, this seems like a really cool connection. Yeah. <laughs> like that was very thoughtful. And I really, it like caught my eye, like right off the bat. And then as soon as I knew your name, you popped up everywhere. It was like, <laughs> it was, you know, it's like when you want to buy a red car, you know, like, like all you see on the road, right? Like it's like it was totally like that. Like Blake was everywhere. You you and I have so many people in common. And I'm like, how do we not already how have we not already had a conversation? You know? So yeah. I started to like seek you out. And um, but but it's I really I think you're just very intentional. So my question is about like how do you nurture not just like your inner circle, you know, people that you know you'll stay in touch with one way or the other, but like that second and third layers out or second or third tiers out. What are your habits or philosophies or practices around staying in touch? And I know you gave the example earlier of just like yeah. when it hits you, you just reach out and you like you do yeah. the quick video. But like what I mean, do you have systems? Do you use a CRM? Or are you like a, a you know, as it comes into your head kind of guy? Like, yeah. how do you actually embody the spirit of your message? Like, how do you actualize it? Because you're because you are doing it. I want to give you credit for it. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I'm just a huge geek on this idea of appreciation, mainly because I feel like at turning points in life and tragic points in life, we all get really good at appreciating people or telling people how much we love them. And I've noticed graduations, weddings, and funerals you learn so much about people. Like you, you hear these mind-boggling recalls of these, these moments, these stories. These, it's like, let me tell you how I met Robbie. And it's like, we never hear that stuff unless it's these key mile markers. And sure, maybe we do, but we keep it to ourselves or we kind of keep it quiet. Like I might tell a friend how awesome... Robbie Samuels is, but I might not actually tell Robbie. And if I do, maybe it's because it's just a tragic time in the world. And so we got to let each other know how much we love one another. And I've always been intrigued by that. So appreciation is the through line. Appreciation is the, is the lighthouse in this. And I get entertainment from the fact that it's a really cheesy art form. Like, you know, if you go into Hallmark and you just look at all the cards, it's, it's kind of cheesy to, to just gush on people. And so then I did some research into it in my work at like speaking and coaching and doing group programs and stuff, which was, so what's the deal with appreciation? Like, why isn't it more common? And I realized that according to research, there's three reasons we don't appreciate people more often. Reason one, we forget. That is the leading reason why humans don't appreciate one another. We forget. Second reason, we don't want it to be weird or uncomfortable. So that's like the cheesy factor. 
third, we don't know what to say. So I thought, okay, research says we forget. Well, then we just need some reminders. We don't want to do weird. Well, let's just be honest. It's weird, but it's not nearly as painful as the regret of not passing this along. And if we don't know what to say, well, let's come up with some creative ways to say it. So for me, I've made this commitment in my life and career to just live on this idea of unexpected appreciation. Truthfully, I don't shine at the expected events, birthdays, anniversaries. I, I do the thing, but I sometimes miss it or I drop the ball on it. And there's expectation on those dates. And therefore, there's like kind of a, you need to hit a certain bar. But on a Tuesday in March, everybody's guard is down. <laughs> so to send something, to let someone know that you are thinking of them, you're impacted by them, you have had a moment in time because of them, or have learned something based on just who they are and how they show up in the world. I mean, that is free for the giving. And now we have so many tools to make this so easy. Back in the day, if I wanted to just spontaneously acknowledge Robbie, I would have needed a horse and a boat and a lantern and food supplies and maps, and I might have never gotten home. Now I can message my beautiful wife who's upstairs from me in this moment in the same amount of time as our friend who currently lives in Dubai. They will both get the text at the same time, probably. How is that even possible? We live in Star Trek, Robbie. So since I'm all about appreciation and I thrive on the unexpected, I basically give myself permission to the second I think of someone, I message them. A voice note, a little video, just some written words, whether it be social media, a text, an email. Sometimes I just write a note and take a picture of the note and send the photo along. And I never really have an ask. It's just a give. So it's just stacking up this acknowledgement, appreciation, these doses of I see you. And even in our first touch point, I knew enough about your work and what you were passionate about that I was like, huh, what Robbie's up to is in the same sphere as my buddy Jan. They're both virtual event producers. They're both like super intentional about it. They're like studying every bolt inside Zoom. Like these, these two are up to a similar thing. This might mean that they're competitors and like, e, we don't want to talk to each other. Valid. That's the case sometimes. Or this is a future friendship waiting to happen. Even though I don't really know Robbie, Robbie doesn't know me. I know enough about Robbie that I can just jump to level 12 and say, Time to make an intro, even though one of you doesn't know me. But I followed the intuition and human psychology says, well, if people get along, it's a great feeling. And to be a, to gift someone a relationship that may never come to be otherwise. I mean, I have nothing to lose except maybe it's kind of weird, which is reason number two that we don't do this kind of stuff. But I mean, I, I'm weird in a bunch of different ways. So what have I got to lose? And you were, you were voted the most unique in, in school. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's that, um, you know, I, 
I think I actually dropped the ball and didn't connect with Jan. Uh, and that's Jan Keck, who has become a great collaborator and just colleague and friend. He has asked deep questions, which I'm plugging all the time. I'm, I'm always mentioning him. And, and, you know, and we do very similar work, um, but somebody else um, actually uh, also tagged me in something. It was someone named Brent. And I don't even know, I'm not even sure I know who Brent is. I'm looking back at my conversation with Jan and I was like, I'm so glad Brent, you know, tagged me and I'd love to connect. And he said, this is our second intro. And now my schedule looks a bit more open. Remember Blake Fly also did an intro for us in the summer. So like, <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, and I, and then I went back and I like looked and I was like, oh, you know, like I felt <laughs> so bad, but like both of us were super busy, but it, it, it totally greased things. I was like, wow, if there are two people who I don't know well, but are saying like, you have to meet this guy. Like I have to meet this guy. Like, I love that you don't hold back. I, I think that that I want to underscore that piece about not overthinking it because I actually worked with a client, a coaching client once who um, she was dutifully doing the follow-up, hmm. but not getting the results. Okay. So she would like have had coffee with you and then make sure to send you the, like, it was really great talking to you, blah, 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 blah. Like, <laughs> right. Very perfunctory. So there was this one time after one of her calls and one of her meetings or whatever, we were, we were doing our coaching call and she was told me that during the meeting, there was a moment where she thought of this book that would have been a great contribution to the conversation, but the mm. moment passed. Mm. So she didn't get to share it. So it was, that was going to be my, that was going to be my give that she says to me. Mm. And I said, well, did you do the follow-up? Yes. Did you mention the book? No. Mm. Yeah. I was like, and why is that? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm really like so at a loss. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be like, how do I unpack that? And there is this way in which it's like, well, I don't want to be a bother. I don't want to like, I don't want to be too forward. I don't want to like assume. I'm like, but you know, if you'd had the moment in the, in the conversation to mention it, it would have been perfect. Right. So then why, why let time dictate whether you right. share the value? Like, so like people really do hold back and making yeah. introductions or making a suggestion or making an offer or saying thank you or being appreciative. And yeah. that's all their own head trash. That's really, isn't that, yeah. no one else is paying as close attention as they think people are. Right. Um, and I think you have to do a lot to get on people's stages. Like you've got, like, I think of our friendships, like you've got your closest friends, like they're on your stage. Mm -hmm. I mean, they started out as strangers because like we yeah. all, strangers to each other but yeah. they once they're on your stage you'll never forget them but to get on someone's stage and be there in a memorable way yeah that's a repeat visit right you know? yes yeah and i love i love coming up with those approaches where i mean truthfully a lot of the things that i do and a lot of the work that i'm up to in my business i think a great deal of it comes from the fact that historically i'm disorganized so I'd even use you as a great reference point in the interactions that we've had so far, Robbie. One thing I've come to know about you is, is you have so many systems dialed in, like you've got some systems plugged in and hooked up to take care of your people, to make relationships move and to not let things slip through the cracks. Me, I don't have much of that set up. And so my 
counterbalance to it is just ruthlessly be present and consistent. I mean, that's why I'm doing a thousand days of Facebook lives and I'm doing a 55 year event and I'm writing a daily email. It's well, if my calendar is disorganized, what I do know is I can do something every day, but I find sometimes people hold back because their systems aren't set up. They're like, well, I got to get a CRM color coded and dialed in before I do any kind of outreach or make someone like feel noticed. Or, well, I need to make sure that when they click on my link, it goes to a super dialed booking software page. Whereas I love to lead with kind of what people can already see. So, as an example, if I don't have a website built, I'll send a, a video message or an audio message and I'll call out like, hey, I don't have a website bit built yet. So if I were you, I'd probably Google me and be like, is this person a ghost? Don't they have a website? Like speak first, sort of the eight mile rule where Eminem, he's like, he says all the stuff about him that can be made fun of so that the other rapper has, has nothing to say in the final rap battle. But I think a lot of it is just, why don't we say the thing that we want to say? And it's risky to say it, but it's a calculated risk. It's a thoughtful risk. And in business, it, it lets you bypass the line every single time. Me giving you a high-level introduction to an epic human who is now one of your key collaborators and friends that's like step 23 in a typical, hey, nice to meet you. Maybe we should connect sometime. Yeah. But if you start on step 23 and just take the leap of faith. Well, I'm going to speak as a person who has a lot of connections, but not that many close friends. Mm. Right? That for you to jump to the front of the line of people I'm paying attention to in the past year, like, you know, I, I'm open. I'm right. not, I'm not like I have enough friends. I'm not that, but I also am not like, I don't, I don't send any LinkedIn connection requests to people I haven't met. Right. I'm not searching for those connections. Like I right. will accept them, but I don't seek them. And so it's like to get kind of on my radar in a, like, I'm looking for you. It's not just that I'm like open to seeing what you're doing, but I am like actively like <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm sharing your content with people. I'm telling people to go to your workathon. You know, I'm like, yeah. I, I just shared the link earlier today. Like <laughs> I was talking to my friend, I'm like, didn't I tell you about this? She's like, oh, right, right. I'm like, here's the link again. You're like, so <laughs> thank you. I mean, this is to me, you jumped the line because of being you. And I, I think people listening have to figure out how to translate that to who they are, but to know yeah. that you could make lots of small steps and not get very far, or you can make a few giant leaps and land yeah. exactly where you want to be. Like yeah. it's, it's a, it's a risk. Cause you could also like overstep, but you know, big time, but <laughs> dial it back sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that for me, the line's going to be um, when people send things to my house, I want to know who they are ahead of time. <laughs> That's right. probably the line. <laughs> like if you had started by sending me like, 
any kind of shipping thing to my house and I we had never talked, like I probably been like weirdo right. um, across the line. But right. otherwise, if you know me, listeners, you're welcome to send me gifts. Like <laughs> I have really enjoyed that this past year. My wife's and kids have enjoyed it. Um, so speaking of gifts, I want you to gift people with a little uh, answer to this final question, which is if we were meeting a year from now and we were talking about all of the success that you've experienced in this last year, yeah. I want to know what we're going to be celebrating. What are you most looking forward to in the next 12 months? I'm most looking forward to the day after year six of 55 for the annual event that I lead because I lead the event. So I never forget to pause and look back on the past year of my life. And we will be celebrating the fact that, you know, our, our baby boy is year and a half now. And, my experiment to do four day weeks in business has worked tremendously well. And there's a lot of balance in life and people are actively delivering gratitude and appreciation and thanks as a way to grow their network and elevate their business because they were part of year six of 55. And like, I, I know what I want on my tombstone, which is the words, thanks for being here. Because I, I like to mess with people's heads, meaning if someone were to come visit me in the grave at the end of my life, they look at the tombstone and they're either going to go, so wait, am I, am I being thanked for being here right now? Or was that like the, the message farewell to Blake Fly? And those are some of the things we'd be celebrating and talking about a year from today. Well, I cannot wait to celebrate all that with you. It sounds like an amazing vision for the future. Uh, tell us, how can people find you and follow your work? Main way is I'm on the Instagram. My name's Blake Fly, just one word. And I mean, you can find me on Facebook. I'm a mutual friend of Robbie Samuels, Blake Flyshacker. My full name is on Facebook but I do daily live videos for a thousand days in a row right there. I'm on day 582 at the time of this recording. So I've got a few hundred days to go and uh, LinkedIn. I never go there, but I hear it's great. And uh, Blake on the That's my daily email. If you just want some daily written insights to grow your biz, make you smile and, you know, just keep up. So, that's, that's a far less methodical pathway to find me, but I'm in a bunch of places and you can take a few different vehicles to get there. And I'm excited to connect on that front when you arrive. Awesome. Well, I will put all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Blake, thank you so much for this conversation. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Blake. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 258. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, 
as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another town professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.